Welcome to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast, presented by 13 Fishing Canada. Make your own luck. We're here to scratch that angling itch and talk everything fishing. Join us as we sit down with special guests from across the industry. Now, here's your hosts, Brandon Cater and Logan Lewis. Welcome back to another episode of the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast. My name is Brandon and I'm here with my buddy Logan. How's it going, Logan? going great uh seasons are opening up across at least western canada here um been able to get out a couple times after work and and the pound's been producing for me how about yourself oh not too bad i mean i took the day off on opener went out there had a a great day beautiful day um otherwise i've only been out one other time i just went shore fishing i only had a couple couple hours the other night uh grabbed a couple of rods grabbed a couple of jigs and swim baits and just went and casted for about an hour and a half and uh caught some walleye it was tons of fun but otherwise just been super busy haven't been able to get back out on the boat um but yeah we've we've been busy with this podcast as well we have a fantastic guest um coming on this episode and the next so this is going to be a two-part series um on the podcast here with gord Pizer. if you don't know who he is he is a staple in the canadian fishing industry um he's an editor field editor for uh, a couple larger magazines and uh, publishing titles, uh, Outdoor Canada Magazine. If you are uh, a subscriber to that, you'll see a lot of his articles in there. Uh, he's also part of Rapella Canada team, Cabela's Canada. Uh, just all around, he's he's a big part of the Canadian fishing industry. Yeah, that uh, that was a real treat. I was I was just buzzing after that interview. There we. We were, like you said, we were lucky enough to have him for two hours. So we kind of have this first one here is going to be somewhat of kind of just more of the interview kind of thing. And then in the next episode, you have to stay tuned for that. It'll be more of a Q&A kind of thing with some of our listeners' questions. So I think you'll really enjoy it. Um, I was super thankful that we were able to talk to him for that long. I did not expect that at all. It's all of a sudden an hour had gone by and we're like, oh man, we haven't even gotten to the questions yet. And he's like, oh, I got nothing else to do tonight. We may as well keep going. So uh, it was a great time, and I think you'll really get to hear kind of how great of a person he is. Yes, absolutely. But before we get to part one of uh, Gord Pizer's interview, um, there's a lot going on in the fishing world here too. Locally, uh, down in the States, I think another head-to-head walleye tournament just kicked off uh, today, so that's live on Facebook as well. Uh, we're a couple days away from the Rafferty Reservoir Walleye Cup. That is going on uh, despite COVID. I mean, things have been... You know, going well here in Saskatchewan as far as COVID-19, you know, vaccination rollouts, uh, reopening plans, that type of stuff. So the Rafferty Reservoir Walleye Cup is going forward here this weekend um, with a new format. And you're, you're pretty familiar with that format, eh, Logan? Yeah, for sure. Um, they'll be using the MyCatch app, which is actually who I work for part-time, kind of their social media and community manager. Um, they'll be using that. So it's kind of a, more of a catch photo release. Um, everyone gonna have their bump board out there and through this app you're able to upload the picture of your fish I think there's also a release uh, picture that's available as well but you get your picture of of the walleye on the bump board and that gets uploaded to our platform there with my catch um, then through that it's able, it gets verified by judges and then um, with that also that information will become available to uh, fisheries researchers as well. So it's kind of a two for one. You get to fish in that tournament and then it's also creating a huge database that 
will be available to fisheries researchers and fisheries researchers only is the big thing um, secret spots stay secret with the mycatch app so um, it's kind of been a new thing that we've launched since kind of pretty well since covid started last spring there and uh, the tournament's been ramping up we've been having a lot of them going here and it's been pretty cool to see the amount of data that just even through just the tournaments that um, has kind of come out and you're also able to use the app if you're not in the tournament so you can you can have your profile on there and you can you can upload your catches and you can keep de uh, track of everything you've caught throughout this season that's kind of how i first came across it before i was working for them um i just i used to keep track actually on my phone of when i catch a walleye i'd go into my notes on my samsung link and i'd go in there and I'd go walleye add one more to it and have to remember what it was at before and i'd have all my species so kind of a long wrap but definitely uh, it's pretty cool way of going about things especially with kind of the times we're in right now so i think it should be a fun tournament yeah and i know there's a few people that are you know aren't overly excited about the new format um because it's not you know moving forward with the the typical um weight uh format and your slots and and that type of stuff i think it's going to be your five longest fish your five biggest fish um it's like with it being a photo uh, release it it's by length um so there there's a little bit of a difference um when it comes to the format of the tournament but uh it it i mean it's still part of the central walleye trail and it, all the points go towards the uh, sas slam and all of the all of that stuff as well so i mean it's a new format uh but it all is going to count and flow like it would any other year so um yeah there's that going on this weekend a couple more tournaments coming up here uh, in early June, um, but we'll get there in uh, in future episodes. And of course, we wouldn't be here without our fantastic sponsors. We have to give a shout out to Blackfish Gear uh, because you can't choose the weather. And that is so, so relevant to Saskatchewan. It is 30 degrees out here today. Uh, in four days from now, on Friday, it's going to be one degrees and snowing. Uh, absolutely unbelievable partake um, on the weather here in Saskatchewan. It's just crazy. Um, but yeah, definitely check out Blackfish gear. They got rain gear, uh, sun protective gear, soft shells. They're, the soft shell, the gale, is by far my new favorite bunny hug slash jacket. It's like a pullover soft shell. Fantastic. Definitely check it out. Lots of great colors. Um, check them out at blackfishgear.com. And I believe we do have a 15% off discount code uh, for their entire website. So definitely check out the show notes below it'll be down there and a link to their website yeah that and that code too that's a podcast special code you're not going to see it on the socials or anything so that's just for the listeners kind of something special from them so you can look in the show notes or if, if you want to write it down right now it is bfvip21 weekend warriors for 15 percent off so i think you should definitely check that out um, and then of course we've got the saskatchewan wildlife federation um, it's been pretty cool getting to work with them and have them come on the podcast here. Um, they're hoping they've been teasing some stuff a little bit and, and we can't wait to kind of share more with you guys when that does come out. But until then, you just have to keep on tuning in and, and see what it is. Yeah, they got some some big things coming and uh, we do have an episode in the near future with with one of their um you know employees that has been a big part of uh what's coming out uh so definitely stay tuned for future episodes with them uh lots of great things coming for the province of saskatchewan and of course last but not least a quick word from lucky bastard distillers a local distillery out of saskatoon saskatchewan you just 
can't beat local products. They have some of the best vodka um, available. So uh, here's a quick word from them. Get ready to stand on guard for the... Prohibition is over, Saskatchewan. Ask Lucky Bastard today how you can make Canada's ultimate Caesar, true north and strong. Featuring Lucky Bastard's premium dill pickle vodka, LB's famous bacon rimmer, and bacon bitters. It's not a Caesar if it's not Lucky Bastard. Order online or stop by 814 47th Street East. And tonight, why not mix your Caesar with some Lucky Bastard? So if that sounded like something you'd enjoy, um, you can use our code WEEKENDWARRIORS for 10% off their products. Uh, they ship Canada-wide, and we've been lucky enough to try some of their products ourselves, and definitely won't be the last time. So if that's something you'd like, be sure to use the code and take advantage of that 10% off. And without further ado, here is part one of Gord Pizer's interview. Welcome to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast, Gord. Uh, we appreciate you hopping on with us. I mean, I'm super excited about this episode I've obviously, I know who you are, and Logan knows who you are, and a lot of people around the country, uh, around North America, know who you are. You've kind of been a staple in the fishing industry. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself for people that maybe don't know you. Uh, kind of, who are you? Where are you from? And uh, what do you do? Well, um, <laughs> all righty. I'll, I'll back. You know, I'll back up. Uh, I have a degree, a master's degree in resource management. Um, and I worked for 31 years here in Ontario uh, with the Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources. Um, actually, I worked for OMNR even when I was at university. I did my master's okay. thesis in uh, Algonquin Wilderness Park uh, on the first wilderness management plan of the park. And, and then when you work for, <coughs> excuse me, MNR in Ontario here, you see the province. So, you know, I worked up, uh, I was in North Bay for a little while uh, up on Lake Nipissing and uh, in the North Bay area. And then down at uh, South Lake Simcoe and in Peterborough at the Autonomy uh, Region Conservation Authority. But most of my career uh, since uh, 76, before you guys were even born, I'm sure, <laughs> um, I, I've been up here in Sonora in Northwest Ontario. <clears throat> and yep. I spent... Uh, I spent two and a half years uh, working for the assistant deputy minister. I was the uh, policy advisor for Northern Ontario uh, within MNR. And then uh, I finished up my career, came back to uh, Kenora here as the district manager. And okay. you know, a couple of, couple of the exciting things we did, uh, uh, we did one of the largest uh, smallmouth uh, and largemouth tracking studies ever undertaken. Oh, wow. Uh, here on Lake of the Woods, we have the Lake of the Woods Fisheries Assessment Unit, and uh, which is probably one of the largest uh, uh, composites of walleye data in the world. Um, and at that point in time, I actually co-chaired the Ontario Minnesota Fisheries Technical Committee. So the bios and fish managers in Minnesota and Northwest Ontario, Jack Skrypek, who was the uh, 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 Chief of Fisheries for the state of Minnesota, Jack and I co-chaired that. <clears throat> and then, you know, one of the other interesting things, I guess, that towards the uh, my last couple of years, uh, uh, we, Northwest Ontario here, we were the first to move into kind of the modern streamlining and, uh, and uh, um, 
but streamlining the uh, fisheries regulations. We went to the four fish limits, the one over 18. Uh, we went to the first yeah. here on Lake of the Woods, the first uh, modern muskie management, essentially almost in the world, um, which was kind of cool. Um, and then, you know, the interesting thing uh, back then, I was also writing, of course, for Outdoor Canada and in Fisherman Magazine. And once yes. I took... I took the early retirement package, so I left five years early. Uh, I left after 31 years. Uh, um, and so then I went full time with, uh, I was the fishing editor of Outdoor Canada magazine, uh, field editor with uh, In Fisherman magazine, television and radio. And uh, buddy Bob, Bob Azumi and I, I, Bob, I've known Bob since uh, we were both in our, our kind of 20s, 30s. And, you know, for yeah. 30, I think for 34 years, we had the Real Fishing Radio Show, uh, wow. coast, coast nationally syndicated. So I've been doing, on, you know, the, the, last, uh, the last 19 years has been 100% uh, magazine writing, blogging, uh, Ontario Tourism, Just Fishing Magazine, In Fisherman and Outdoor Canada. So fish, fish, Lots fish. on the go. Yeah, lots of fishing. Can't complain about that at all. No. No, I guess that's kind of, uh, you know, going through a couple of articles and uh, finding some other stuff online. You know, people refer to you as the doc. And, uh, you know, it probably has a lot to do with, I mean, obviously you have a master's degree in resource is in resource management. And, uh, I mean, obviously you spent a lot of time on the scientific side of fishing as well. So I'm sure you have a, a lot of insight on on the science behind fisheries as well as not just the blogging. I mean, come across a lot of blogs from you. And uh, I mean, this is for a lot of you listeners. If you aren't um, a member of the Saskatchewan Wildlife Federation, uh, a lot of Gord's articles are published in the Outdoor Canada magazine uh, where he's an editor for, and that comes with your subscription um, to the Sask Wildlife Federation. So if you don't have one of those yet, definitely check it out. You'll see a lot of great content from Gord. Um, in a physical copy, but you can obviously find a lot of this stuff online as well. Um, but yeah, no, uh, we're we're super happy to have you on here, Gord. Oh, it's always fun. And Brandon, I sh I should tell you, uh, the doctor uh, moniker, um, yeah, for sure, uh, uh, was the science side within MNR. Uh, you know, I I was really really fortunate uh, uh, when I was in Thunder Bay. Uh, uh, I my next office mate in, in, at the regional building there was uh, Dr. Peter Colby. And okay. Peter, Peter literally wrote the book on walleye. He wrote the walleye symposium for the United Nations. And oh, our, wow. our walleye research section is at Savannah Lake at, at Thunder Bay. But so that's where kind of the doc uh, moniker came. But Wayne Azumi was really the one. Wayne was my tournament partner. Uh, okay. When we were fishing and uh, Wayne, all we, you, you know, we were in tournaments and I'm sure you guys uh, probably have fish tournaments as well. Um, <laughs> I, I, I would, I, Wayne always said I would surgically go in and extract information from people in tournaments. So the, the doc has two connotations to it. <laughs> there okay. you go. Yeah, we're actually at. This year's we're going to be fishing head to head at the Buffalo Pound tournament as our first tournament, so uh, cool. it should be exciting here. Just I think it's June June twelfth, eleventh, twelfth, so it should be 
should be cool just getting into that tournament scene and whatnot we're pretty excited about that but have heard a lot of things so kind of get an idea of what you're talking about there yes you got to be careful what you say oh yeah for sure (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i guess i wanted to backtrack a little bit there you said you were conducting the study was it in algonquin uh, park uh that's where i did my masters way back when but uh, you know, we did a lot of our, really the, a lot of the critical research on things like smallmouth and walleye here on Lake of the Woods when I was with M&R. Okay. We replicated, uh, we replicated Mark Ridgway, Dr. Ridgway's work. Mark did uh, some phenomenal smallmouth tracking. Uh, believe it or not, part of the longest continuous census of an animal population on Earth. And oh, wow. The data on smallmouth on Obiongo goes back to about 1920, and it has there has never been a year that we haven't done uh, the census on that population. So in terms of trend through time data, it's absolutely incredible. And some of the stuff that Mark found on Obiongo, uh, because it's in Algonquin Park as a wilderness park and kind of controlled. So we wanted to replicate that here on Lake of the Woods to find out in a much more open fishery where people are angling, catch and release, keep, kill, that sort of thing. So we replicated Mark's work and we literally followed a series of large smallmouth. Uh, We snorkeled down onto the beds and we captured them, put radio transmitters inside them, and each one had an individual frequency. And then we followed them until the batteries ran out for up between three and five years. And what we discovered, and I'm sure we'll talk about this as the night goes on with all fish, these things do nothing but fascinate you. No. Um, we like to think they've got a brain the size of a pea. Um, they are the most amazing creatures. And it, blow, it blows your mind what they do how, how they react to things. They're simply amazing. And I don't need to tell you guys that. No. <laughs> I'm sure you know it. Yeah. And I, I guess one thing there, when, am I correct in some of my, the research I did that when you're doing your master's, you lived out of a canoe for six months? You know, I, it was probably even longer than that. I, wow. uh, I went into the park right about now, about the first week of May. And, uh, I came out about, uh, about the middle of September, so May, much of May, June, July, August, September, about five months I lived out of canoe and a tent and uh, travel in the back country. Yeah, it sounds like a good way to spend a summer, <laughs> at least yeah, I think. Yeah. But... And I got paid. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's the best part, too, about that. Dream job. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you, though, there were some nights... Uh, uh, it's a little different when you're working, and so I can remember some, you know, if for folks who don't know, Algonquin is a million and a half acres, the wilderness, uh, no roads, uh, all canoe. The only way in and out is via canoes, and uh, there were a couple of nights, you know, we got buddy that was with me, uh, uh, helping me, and it was late at night, and, you know, you're in the dark trying to come across uh, a portage, and it worked all day and you know we just jumped out of the canoe and hung on to the side and instead of making the portage we just went <laughs> down the chute and, and <laughs> wow 
we ran out of food a couple times and have you uh, I, i've eaten minnows that were about this big for a couple of days that's what we survived on so, wow. but it was, it was it was it was phenomenal work eating yeah, minnows a whole podcast in itself <laughs> yeah Eat, eating minnows and stroking paychecks yeah <laughs> no complaints there no that's awesome yeah so then like obviously you spent a lot of time on the science side of things. How did you get into the, uh, you know, the editorial stuff and, and, you know, the writing and field work and, and everything that you do with Outdoor Canada? Because you had, you know, you have a long career doing that as well. So um, kind of what led you from the science to sharing all this information with everybody? You know, it's re really interesting, Brandon. Um, I was really fortunate, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I've grown up through the Renaissance. Uh, I, I've seen the best muskie fishing on earth and I've happened to live now, you know, I lived in Northwest Ontario since 76, uh, it, uh, became friends with Al and Ron Lindner and Doug Stangy, Bob Zumi. And, you know, it, it was the, it was an era. I, I don't think, uh, I, I'm sure there will be a different new eras coming on, but I was really lucky to come through that period. Uh, you know, I, I, I can remember fishing before sonar. I can remember yeah. throwing jugs out, Javax bottles with 10 feet of line and a weight on the bottom. And then if you threw four of them out as you went along and they drifted in with the wind, all of a sudden yeah. that, that outlined the 10 foot contour for you. Wow. And all of a sudden sonar came out and it was the green boxes and the red boxes. And I can remember when they first came out um and it was it was phenomenal i'll tell you another little story when i first came to kenora here in 76 there was no one and when i say no one i mean no one ever fished offshore yeah. and everybody was on the shoreline and i was lucky i was writing with uh, with in fishermen and so doug Stangy and Al Linder and Ron and and Steve Quinn and Matt Straw, we were sharing stuff, and you know we got onto the offshore walleye stuff and offshore pike and muskies. I honestly remember when boats would come out, we'd be out. I'd be out on somewhere on Lake of the Woods, out in an island section, and boats would come out and say, uh, "Can we? You must have broken down. Can we help you? Is everything all right?" And I mean, we were we were slaying walleye. We were first ever out on the deep structures. Um, I'll tell you another little story. Uh, um, and this was really, really fortunate. Uh, one of another good friend, John Vandeveer. And John was Bob's tournament partner, Azumi. And and we have another friend in California who won a bass tournament in California in the 80s, throwing swim baits. And yep. he weighed in the largest limit ever to win a bass tournament. I, I think it was 65, 67 pounds for wow. five oh. fish on gigantic soft plastic swim baits. And this was in the 80s and yep. early 90s. And so Dana in california dana said i'd love to come up i bet these had worked for muskies and so dana flew up from california so here i am with the guy who just won set the record for 
and we were the first ever guaranteed first ever to throw giants soft plastic swim baits for muskies and it was unbelievable <clears throat> they'd never seen them before uh, yeah and it was it was it was the most shocking thing and then aaron martin's aaron was a young kid aaron was about 18 19 years old and aaron's from california aaron's probably you know he's one of the top five ten bass fishermen on earth <clears throat> Before, when he turned pro at 20, uh, he had won something like 30 Ranger boat motor trailer trucks. Jeez. <laughs> and then he turned pro. And Aaron got on to drop shotting. So I drop shotted with Aaron and his mom, Carol. And he actually learned from his mom. Most of us learned how to fish from our dads. And it was yeah. actually Carol. And Carol was fishing the the Bass Master Women's Circuit. So I went down oh, wow. and drop-shotted and split-shotted with them and again came back up here. No one, I mean, no one even knew what drop-shotting was. And it, it was, it was, you know, it was just one of those lucky things that uh, Ned, Ned Cady, Ned and I, we, Ned's, uh, uh, Ned's a field editor within Fisherman as well. So we yep. go down to a Table Rock Lake in, uh, in in the States, in Missouri. And Ned's the inventor of the Ned rig. And I, <laughs> wrote, gonna uh, <laughs> I wrote a story, The Bow of Ned, and actually was one of the first people ever to give it the name, the Ned rig. And so I brought that home, and I, I kept that a secret for probably 10, 12 years. And, and again, you know, you're out throwing, and guys are coming over saying, what the heck are you doing? Uh, well, you, you used to call it the worm hook, eh? Well, I went down and I actually got a Bassmaster trophy on the wall here. Um, so I went down to the bat. It used to be the Bassmaster Top 100. Now yes. it's called yeah. the Bassmaster Elite. And back then, uh, so you had to fish the circuit to be on the pro side. But I always figured, well, this is a great way to go down and get stories for Outdoor Canada. And I was writing for Bassmaster and for in fishermen as well. So what a great way. I'd go down for three days. Uh, and I knew a lot of the guys anyway, O.T. Fears and Perry back, say, and a lot of the pros back then. So I went down actually, and again, no one had ever known about the Ned Rig. This was in the 1990s. So I go down and I'm fishing on the, on the back of the boat side, the non-boater, if you will. And yep. first day we go down, I'm, I'm, we're fishing Lake Minnetonka, uh, the uh, Bassmaster Minnesota Top 100. So I'm fishing with a pro from uh, Florida. And anyway, I'm, I'm, and I, I'm catching fish. And he goes, my God, what are you doing? And I go, oh, I'm throwing a worm, a jig worm. And it was the forerunner, <laughs> the forerunner of the Ned Rig. And he yep. goes, I bet you're leading. I go, I'm not leading. I, this is, I mean, I caught some nice fish. Anyway, yep. I, I weigh in and I'm leading. So uh, next day, I'm fishing with another pro. And mm -hmm. I'm doing the very same thing. And he goes, what are you, what are you throwing? And it was, it was jig worms. Ned yep. Riggs, early four, and he goes, you got to give me some of those things. I said, sure. I'm, <laughs> no, so I, I give him some, uh, weigh in on day two, and I'm still leading. And first prize uh, on the non-boater 
is a Ranger boat motor trailer fully rigged. So I meet up on the final day with my pro, the pro, and he goes, what are you doing? Uh, and I said, oh, gee, and I won't say who it is. I don't want to. I don't want this to sound bad. Yeah, no, that's fine. I say, I'm leading. And he goes, you're leading. What are you doing? And I said, I'm throwing uh, jig worms. And he goes, jig worms? I've never thrown jig. If we can't catch them flipping and pitching, we ain't going to catch them. Well, (laughs) guess what? So I finished third. I won 10 grand. And I just got squeaked out for the win. Missed a bass boat motor trailer. Because he wouldn't let he wouldn't let us throw he wouldn't let me throw jig worms we just yeah. went to the wrong spot and he finished about ninetieth I finished <laughs> third so, <laughs> again it was really lucky you know it was just a matter of really really lucky to meet and become friends with Ned Katie and Al Linder Al's the greatest fisherman literally the greatest fisherman who has ever lived. Um, you cannot, you cannot believe in your wildest imagination how good of an angler Al Linder is. He is beyond belief. Wow. And like, obviously, I mean, you have a lot of history with, with fishing with him and, and that kind of stuff. So I'm sure there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that hasn't surfaced to the public or anything like that. But, um, I mean, you yourself, I mean, you've also kind of led quite a path here in Canada. So, I mean, I've read quite a few articles about yours. Uh, A few of them have been spring and pike walleye specific. With it being spring, obviously, and actually here in Saskatchewan, in the southern zone, uh, the season just kicked off last week. Um, Let's let's get into a little bit of spring spring walleye, spring pike talk. And uh, just, we don't have a whole lot, we don't have bass a whole lot here in Saskatchewan. We have one body of water that has largies in here. And uh, I know the majority of the population here, the focus is walleye and pike. Um, yeah, let's hop on a little bit of those topics. You, you know, it's a, it is really timely to Brandon because our season opens here in 48 hours. Uh, so okay. midnight, midnight on Saturdays, our walleye opener. Oh, so uh, see, and I was, time. <laughs> there you go. And I wasn't sure, but I wasn't sure when your opener was. Like, I know I talked to a few people in Minnesota. I know their opener here is right away as well. Um, but yeah, ours started last week here in the southern zone of Saskatchewan. So there's there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of our listeners and stuff that are either have been out once or twice or, you know, maybe even five times. I don't know. There's also a couple of people that are just itching to get out there for the first time. So um, any any kind of spring walleye pike talk here is going to be relevant for a little while yet. Um Walleye specifically, what what type of uh, technique is your go-to? You know, say you're heading out on opener, what what's your go-to technique? Um, it, it's a really good question because the answer is, if I'm by myself, or have yep. I got other people in the boat? Um, if I've uh, got, I'll, let, I'll yeah. give you I'll give you both answers. First Sounds time, good. <laughs> if I've got other people in the boat. Obviously, most people want to catch lots of fish. Um, so the key with the spring, key on, and normally Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Ontario, Minnesota, Wisconsin, wherever, the season's kind of time to open just after the spawn. Uh, we try mm-hmm. to get at least 80%, 75%, 80 90% of the spawn through. And what happens after the spawn 
is uh, walleyes tend to recuperate. They're, they're hungry. Um, and one of the keys, the key thing for anybody is look for where they spawn. Uh, they spawn in, in areas with moving water. Uh, that can be naturally moving water, like inflowing creeks, rivers, streams, those sorts of things, or neck down areas uh, where the wind blows through, uh, or on a lake of the woods type, they'll pull into the wind exposed rocky shoreline. So they're always looking for boulders, mm -hmm. uh, football, uh, basketball, uh, soccer ball shaped rocks. They're broadcast spawners, the eggs have got to fall through cracks and crevices to hide and get okay. away from, from crayfish, yellow perch, etc. So if you know those areas uh, where the wind exposed or creeks inflowing or the below dams, those sorts of things, that's what walleyes are looking for. And it's why you always, early in the season, you're always looking for uh, to fish around uh, spawning areas. Now, not necessarily on the spawning areas, because next week, for example, here it's going to be, and I'm sure in where you guys are, you're only a few hundred miles away, uh, it's going to be really warm next week. Uh, I, I see mid to high 20s uh, pretty near the whole week. So I think what, Monday's 28 degrees. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be a nice change of pace. So what walleyes always do, the... the it, what you learn in biology is probably the biggest predator prey interaction with walleye is walleyes and yellow perch. Um, it, it's just a classic predator prey relationship. And yellow perch spawn later than walleye. And they turn the tables. Right now, perch are feeding on walleye eggs. They're harassing walleyes. And yeah. as soon as the walleye spawns over, the perch are going to drop back into the nearby. So what you look for, look for the nearest, closest uh, little black bottomed bays, uh, sheltered bays that are close to those spawning areas. And that's where the, the yellow perch are going to be sp uh, spawning. So now okay. the, walleyes, the walleyes turn the table on the yellow perch. And here's the other classic. Yellow perch are terrible nighttime uh, feeders. Uh, they don't see well in the dark. They don't see well in in at, uh, dark periods of the day. Those are classic walleye conditions. So twice a day, the predator-prey interaction. Perch are really active during the day. They drop down to the bottom at night. Walleye are really active at first light, last light, and all, and they cross paths. And so anywhere you know that the perch are going to be in those back bays, calmer areas, the perch or the walleye immediately go there and start feeding on them. And again, it's just a classic predator prey interaction. So if you're throwing jerk baits, crank baits, those are, what, what colors are you going to throw? Yellow, orange, <laughs> uh, uh, anything that perch, looks perch relative. <laughs> if you're pulling spinners, what spinners are you going to pull? Chartreuse, lime green, uh, fluorescent orange. It's, you know, this isn't rocket science, this is fishing. And yeah. all of those colors that we associate strongly with walleye are also the colors that perch are. Right. Now, if I'm going out alone, I'm really not interested in catching 20-inch walleyes. Um, 
uh, I'd much rather go out and catch five fish the whole day, five, six. I'm always pushing the envelope. Um, So I'm out in deep water. I'm out much, much deeper than everybody else. I'm much more, much more main lake oriented, and I'm, I'm looking for the female fish. Now, believe it or not, and most people don't realize this, yes, some of the females do stick around the, the spawning areas, but much more quickly than most folks realize, the bigger female walleyes move and they, they vacate the spawning areas, and they don't go to those perch locations, they go main lake. What are they looking for? Two things, cold water and Cisco's. Why are they looking for cold water? They can slow their metabolism down so they can reduce their their metabolism and devote much more energy to egg production. And it's only Hmm. a matter of a few weeks away that those female walleyes start producing next year's eggs. They're producing next year's eggs in July and August. Uh, late June even. So the the somatic growth, the period that a a female walleye devotes to growing herself is really limited. Um, And what's the best way to uh, grow? Eat the best, highest protein forage. That is uh, Cisco's out in deep water. What's the two best ways to do that? Throw big swim baits and troll cranks and open water suspended crankbaits right now off the edges of structure. But my go-to is a three-quarter to one-ounce saltwater jig. I'll put a six-inch paddle tail behind it. And when when they're on those baits, it is the best walleye fishing you could ever imagine. When Stangy and I got on that pattern uh, 25, 30 years ago, I honestly, honestly, and we were filming in Fisherman, and I can remember saying to Doug, we, you can't release this. <laughs> yeah, It's going to destroy the walleye population. And believe it or not, uh, uh, we, he, Doug released it, it went in Fisherman Television, and then everybody's going, that's not going to work in Saskatchewan, that's not going to work in Northwest Ontario. That's not, and you go, my God, they don't believe it works. Yeah, awesome. Honestly, honestly, this is honest truth. I thought once everybody got on the swim bait heavy program that uh, it was going to hurt the walleye populations continent wide. And nobody, they go, ah, that might work in your neck of the woods. It won't. But they never tried it. And everywhere we have gone, we went to Last Mountain Lake. I've been to Last Mountain, well, twice now, I guess. But Doug's been several. We've been to the Bay of Quinty. We, we go down to the Bay of Quinty and everybody's going, oh, that might work on your dumb fish up in northwest Ontario. Not going to work on our smart wall. We slammed the walleye. <laughs> we never went a day on the Bay of Quinty that we didn't get at least one between 10 and 15 pounds. Wow. So, and that's, um, and that's, on, that's on a heavy jig and a big swim bait. Just a paddle tail. That's a three quarter ounce, a half ounce is light. I, uh, yeah. Honestly, I consider a half ounce uh, saltwater jig light. Uh, three quarters is my go to. Um, I'd much rather go to a one ounce than a half ounce. And we're throwing that often in 18 feet of water. So if you put a six inch swim bait on a one ounce head and you're throwing yeah. that, how do you fish that in 18 feet of water? 
you better fish it really quickly and aggressively or you're going to get snagged every cast. Yeah. And walleyes just about ripped the rod out of your hand. And I'll tell you right now, the first time you try it and the first big walleye you catch, you're going to say, there's no way this is a walleye. It's a northern or a lake trout. Oh, my God, look at the It's a walleye. And yeah. it's the most. I had two fellas from Lloyd Minster. Uh, I, I did a seminar in Lloyd Minster several years ago. And, and we were raising money as well. Uh, an auction for the hospital foundation in Lloyd Minster. So two local fellows bought the trip. They actually paid 20 yep. grand. Can't believe it, but money was going to a good cause. And I had donated two days here. And one day doing that program, they said, you know, we, we heard you talk about it, show us how it's done. And we went out and we did it. And it was either 10 or 12, we caught over 10 pounds. Wow. And one of the fellas caught a 15, 35-inch, 15-pound walleye, uh, Dave McKenzie, that I guarantee was one of the top five biggest walleyes caught that year in North America. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> that thing's a monster. That's, That's a huge. big fish. That's a massive walleye. On a bait nobody wants to throw. Yeah. I just, I just keep thinking of the churro in my head. Yeah, right I know. I, I just keep thinking of the 13 fishing churro. We've been, yeah. we got our hands on a few of those from 13 fishing. Uh, they're our presenting sponsor and they're, they're a part of Rapella Canada, which I know that you are associated with as well. Um, so I don't know if you've got your hands on any 13 fishing stuff yet. They're still fairly new to Canada or not, but, um, we've been fortunate enough to connect with Mark at Rapella there and get our hands on some decent swim baits as well. So, I mean, I'm definitely going to be tossing some swim baits here in spring. Actually, I went out on opener. I took the day off, took the day off work, went out on opener. And, uh, you know, buddies that I was with, uh, you know, slip bobbing, live rigging. Uh, and I was throwing swim bait uh, jig heads with uh, paddle tail. And, I mean, I didn't end up catching anything on a swim bait. We didn't end up catching anything any of us on any of the techniques we were trying until we moved locations. And then I had ended up switching to live rigging anyways, but I was, I was throwing a paddle tail. So I'm definitely going to have to uh, try it again and definitely lean on it a little bit more. But a couple of the things, Brandon, don't throw it until you know you're on fish. Yeah. Uh, okay. What, what everybody does when they learn about a new technique uh, could be swim baits. If you're pipe fishing, musky fishing, lake trout, they'll the time when they try things they've read about it they've seen a video or they've heard your podcast and one of your guests has talked about something special and yeah the time they try it is when they're not catching anything on their favorite techniques that's not when you should do it you should go with your favorite find fish and then say hey, you know about that I, I on the weekend warrior i heard about that technique now's the time to throw it throw it when you know there's fish around the the interesting thing with the uh, swim bait jig program we and i wrote about this recently for outdoor canada when we were doing it back in the days and this is back in you know the 1990s turn of the 2000 we would get bid off probably six to ten times a day and you go, oh, that's, you know, that's the price of throwing these things around pike water. And then we thought, you know what, we should put a, we should figure a way to put a finesse leader on those. 
And then we started doing that. Oh my God, we were getting a 20, bonus 22 pound Northern or bonus 28 pound. We, we got a couple up around 30. I got some muskies doing it. And then you say, well, wait a sec, instead of going six inch, what if we get went to a heavier leader and started throwing eight or 10 or 12 inch? And then I think I went four years in a row and, and released the biggest Northern Pike in Ontario. Never once, never once targeted Northerns. I was fishing for other species and got those fish by accident. But I knew that a Northern wasn't going to pass those baits up. Yeah, can't complain That's, about that yeah. bite catch. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so I guess when, when you're saying that, like most people are kind of in that, like everyone's quite shallow right now, right? And you're just like you're talking about those perch areas and whatnot. So you're going kind of to that that eighteen area. Are you are you are you more suspended, or are you just trying to keep that not obviously on the bottom because you'll get snagged up, but kind of like a foot or two above the bottom, or are you in the middle of the column? Yeah, no, Logan, really good question. When you're throwing the swim baits, um, I mean, what you want is a seven seven foot two uh, uh, medium heavy action spinning rod. Spool it with the suffix fuse, uh, 10 to 14, probably 12, 14 is your absolute ideal. Then put on a, a three to four foot comparable size, either fluorocarbon monofilament leader. And then when you put that package, three quarter, one ounce jig, uh, five or six inch paddle tail, it forces you, the minute you throw that out and you'll throw it a country mile, uh, before you even flip the bale, it's on the bottom. And mm -hmm. it forces you now to rip it up quickly, rip it up, and now you've got to do this. It forces you to lift and then reel down quick. Lift, rip, oh, God, they <laughs> rip the rod out of your hand. Yeah. And, I mean, there is no denying when these fish bite. And I've said this many, many times, and I know folks probably don't like me saying it, um, the problem with live bait, it catches you just enough fish to keep you do it coming back for more. It's kind of it's kind of addictive in that sense. I it, it, but we rely on live bait too often. And mm. I'll tell you right now, you throw X wraps, you throw swim baits, uh, you throw artificials for walleyes and northerns. You'll never go back to live bait again. Yeah. If you want action, I have no problem at all. Uh, so absolutely, if you're a, a father, mother, and you've got young kids and you want to go out, by all means, a uh, uh, quarter ounce, three-eighth ounce jig, put a live minnow, put it down over the side of the boat and jig. But um, and, and I'll do that. If I've got kids in the boat, absolutely. Go out and have fun. But if you're really looking to up your game a little bit, um, maybe go for the live bait in the morning and then go play with the other techniques in the afternoon. Yeah. But we start big and we start aggressive in the morning and we don't we don't ever want to slow up. Yeah, uh, no for sure. Yeah, when, when I think I, Go ahead, Brandon. Oh no, I was just going to say I think I, I either read or watched something of yours where you say uh, you always start your day assuming the fish are aggressive. It, you know, it's funny I, I I get the chance to go around the country and do live seminars at sports shows and Cabela's uh, in-store seminars, those sorts of things. And 
it's so funny when you talk to folks. Like I look out the window right now, and it's blue sky, and we had a warm, warm day today. So imagine it's July, and you wake up, and so uh, you and Logan are going fishing today. You're going to fish your tournament or one of the tournaments. Yeah. You look out the window, and you say, wow, blue sky. Temperature's going to be 27 today. Uh, the water temperature's 26, 27 Celsius. The water's flat calm. You know what? It's going to be a tough day. And you're a self-fulfilling prophet. So what do you do? You pick up a little skinny rod with four-pound test. You put on a crappie-sized jig and a little tiny minnow, and you go out and you hang it over the side of the boat, and you're a self-fulfilling prophet. It was a tough day. You put on that three-quarter ounce jig, and you say, this is the weather I've been dreaming about. And you launch the boat and you start throwing three quarter one ounce jigs with five inch, six inch paddle tails behind and you fish aggressively. I guarantee your arms soar at sunset. You've landed so many fish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of it's what you make of it for lots of that. Right. So if yeah, you're going to think that it's going to be tough. Yeah, it's a big mental thing out there. All you do is have time, <clears throat> especially if you're by yourself, just to think and wonder, what am I doing wrong? I'm not catching any fish. Well, maybe I need to size down and stuff, but it. Just if you start off really heavy, then who knows what could happen. And Logan, you raise a really good point um, because uh, so many folks will say, but I, I can't get a bite, then move. 90% <laughs> of the time when you don't get a bite, it's not because of what you're holding in your hand. There's no fish where you're fishing. Um, yeah. Believe that. Believe that. You know what? I uh, So move. Uh, I, I, Al's a dear friend, Al Linder. Al is, when Al, Al used to come up and we'd go lake trout fishing. He'd always come up the first week in January. And I'll never forget the first time he came because I, Buddy and I were going to be the, the, the good hosts. We go to our first spot and it was a cold, cold day. So I'm drilling 10 inch holes through three feet of ice. And I, I'm drilling about 25, 30 holes. And I got sweat dripping off my nose. It's about 30 below. And I look out of the corner of my eye and I can see Al going from hole to hole to hole as I'm drilling and moving to the next one. And I finally got 15, 20 holes drilled on our first spot of the day. And I just about died because I can see Al going back to his snow machine and he's putting his helmet on and he's zipping his snow machine. He jumps on the snow machine. He roars over to me. and he's We're out of here. <laughs> he says, there ain't no fish here. Let's go. I tried all the And I, what? And I guarantee that day we drilled 500 holes and we put 36 Lakers on the ice, two over 15. And it was a spectacular day. And so it, when folks go fishing this weekend, instead of waiting for the fish to come to you, move, move, move. If you move 20 times on the 21st time, you might find the fish. And it paid off. Keep moving, moving. If we go 20 minutes without a bite, summer, spring, summer, fall, winter, we're gone. Um, and we're gone often big time. We'll go 15 minutes. And if we don't get a fish, a good fish, we're gone. If, yeah. if we get two, three, four, 12, 14 inches, go. That's not what you, you know. But believe if you don't get a bite, it's not because of what you're doing. It's because there's not fish there. Yeah, 
90% of the lake has no fish in it. Our lakes are deserts. 10% of the lake holds 90% of the fish. So every day you go out fishing, you're looking for that tough to find 10% of the water. Right. Yeah. Cause I guess that's the biggest thing is <clears throat> as, as someone maybe who's, maybe you've got two other guys in the boat and maybe you take it more seriously than, than some of your buddies you're with or something like that. They're not going to understand that fact of, of we've got to move. We got to, we got to kind of stay on top of things. Right. Cause if you really wanted to, you could, I'm sure you could troll along all day and you could eventually come across the odd fish. Right. But if you really want to make it productive, it's, it's worth moving around and, and finding that stuff. And I guess the, the big thing is, is just convincing the people that you're with that this is what we got to do. Right. Especially like you said, in ice season, when you're drilling through three feet of ice, like lots of Canada here has to deal with. Right. So it's kind of about convincing the people, but I guess if you do it enough and then it does start to pay off, that's how you quickly turn them and, and they'll never go back to that. It's, it's, uh, you know, here's the opening this weekend. And you watch most people, as soon as they put the, their boat in the water, what's the one thing they wanted to dig the rock? We got to make a cast. We got to start fishing. And I have gone, I always remember a friend and I, Tom Van Leeuwen, and we heard about a lake that had crappies in it. We loved fishing for black crappies. And we spent six hours. We did not turn the motor up. We did not make a cast for six hours hours until we found the fish wow. uh, what was the point of stopping and after six hours of looking we finally found what we were looking for and it was the most unbelievable fishing that, and people will say oh you guys were lucky when was the last time you went six hours without putting a line in the water yeah exactly <laughs> i don't think ever <laughs> a lot of people don't even spend six hours out on the water <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's that's another big thing is is like I, I've been lucky enough and and Brandon too. You you find that group of friends like I guess when you're younger and you're like oh hey ask your buddy you want to come out fishing. Well, they're not ready or prepared to put in that time right because it's teach their own. They might not enjoy it that much. But when you can find people that like lots of times when we we're going out to Last Mountain with some of my buddies like it's it's 6 a.m and you're getting home at like 12 kind of thing like just with those long hours in the summer so you can find people that really are willing to put in that work i think that's when things really do come together so like you said driving around for six hours i don't think most people that thought oh i'm gonna go fishing today with gord would be like man it's been six hours and we still haven't even picked up a rod yet but when you find those people that are willing to do that that's where i find things really come together yeah and and logan you know the, the key is to you know, I would not want anyone that's listening to us think, oh, my God, I got to go out and look around for six hours. I mean, yeah. by all, if you've got kids in the boat, you go to the community fishing holes and you put a jig down, uh, put a slip bobber out for walleye. Like slip bobbering is probably the most misunderstood. It is one of the deadliest systems. And uh, if I took kids out this week, I, I honest truth, I swear this is the truth. I was rigging a bunch of rods today. So I pulled my boat out in the driveway. One of the first rods I rigged was a slip bobber rod. Yep. And I'm going out myself. We're in a bit of a lockdown here and and it's family members only. And so I'm, I'm likely going to be fishing on my own. Um, mm -hmm. Slip bobbering is an amazing technique. If you've got kids in the boat, it is so deadly. Yeah. And But again, people look at a bobber and they say, oh, I'm a pro. I'm not going to put a 
if you go, if uh, I love fly fishing for speckled trout, I mean, the fly guys call them indicators. Yeah. So if you're fly fishing, an indicator isn't a bobber. It's a, it's a bobber, guys. Yeah, and does the same thing. <laughs> absolutely. If yeah. you go to the West Coast or the Great Lakes fishing for steelhead, you will not find a good steelhead guy who doesn't know how to flip, doesn't know how to uh, swim a float down and check his float. And so there's nothing ill about putting a bobber on when you go fishing for walleyes. If you put a slip bobber on, one of the deadliest techniques that most people do not fish. Yeah, exactly. Like I took just actually last night, I went out after work with my two little cousins who are 12 and nine and both somehow like fishing and hunting more, more than I do, I think. So we got them and I just rigged up two slip bobbers. And like you said, went to the community hole and it was just a, a great time. We, I tried to drive around a little bit to see if I could find something special, but I was like, you know what, we'll just go, go right to the point that, ever, that everyone knows. And we sat there, there's two boats on the lake that night we sat there probably about 25 feet away from each other and both boats just constant for the most part of the night. So it's, I guess when, what we were talking about earlier maybe is progressing a little bit from the weekend warrior to, yeah. to more, more serious people. But yeah, for sure. If you're, if you're taking friends and family out there that, that are just looking for a good time and just want to catch some fish, there's totally nothing wrong with doing that stuff. Yeah. But I will say this, <clears throat> when you take your young cousins out, um, one of the big mistakes we make when we take young people out, like my grandson Liam has fished with me since he was six, seven months old. Um, he's caught muskies. He's, the kid is amazing. He's 19 years, 18 years old now, and he's got bigger muskies than most of the folks that have spent their entire life fishing. And mm -hmm. one of the mistakes we make is saying, Young kids want to cast, so uh, they want to cast bait casters. They want to be casting, so don't tell them they can't. They want to be playing with your sonar. Most of the young guys coming up today, they're way better on sonar than the older guys are. Let them play with your sonar. Let them let them throw bait casters. Um, don't tell them they can't do something. Let them do it, and yeah. they'll often surprise the heck out of you. Oh yeah, I actually yeah. I explained side imaging to the night to the nine year old Parker, and then I we got into a little bit of a storm, so I I had to get the slip bobber ready. So I said, just point the boat straight. We're not going fast. We were just idling, and then he's like, he's looking at the side imaging. He's like, there's a fish right there on the left side of the boat. I was like, most people don't even understand how to use side imaging, and here you are, nine years old, at first day seeing it, and and you've already got it kind of dialed in. And same with with Harper, the twelve year old. He had it figured out, and when we'd be sitting there, and I was trying to they had a couple double headers where I'm trying to deal with both the fish and then they're both looking at the fish finder. Like we got to get the slip bobbers back out there. There's fish off the side of the boat. Yeah. So definitely don't want to discourage them on that kind of stuff. No, exactly. Wow. Now, Pike, I know, I know. Okay. So we don't have muskie here in Saskatchewan. Um, so Pike is kind of like the sought after larger game fish. Um, spring Pike. I mean, me personally, like, I know. I think majority of of, of anglers around the, the these neck of the woods, it, you know, walleye are the sought after um, game fish. But uh, there is quite a few people that do like to go after that big game. Um, you know, spring pike. Uh, I want to go catch a forty incher. What kind of tips do you have for anybody that's heading out? You know, this weekend trying to you know get on a forty inch pike here in in springtime. 
we finished the season uh, <clears throat> a couple of, you know, what, shoot, a month ago we were ice fishing for pike and here we are, warm water. <clears throat> How did we end the season? Most uh, Liam and I, we had one day. Uh, I talked about this recently. I did some seminars for Muskies Canada uh, on using an app <clears throat> to predict the best times to go fishing. And so anyway, we were northern pike fishing. We landed five, had two, we missed two more. We put five over 40 inches on the ice, released each one of them. Our biggest was uh, 49 and a quarter, I think. Uh, wow. But I, I caught them up to 30, 34 pounds, 54 inches. How did, what's the best technique at the end of the ice fishing season? And everyone will say dead baiting, quick strike rigs uh, under tip ups. So when the ice goes off, why aren't you using the exact same bait under a float? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Doing it. So I'm in my boat. I'm just using the exact same techniques on the exact same areas I was three weeks ago, catching 46, 48, 49 inch northerns. Instead of using a tip up, I've now got a pegged float and I'm fishing the same uh, Cisco under either quick strike two number six gamma gaps who trebles or a single gamma gaps who number five circle hook and you flick it out and it's even better in open water because under a tip up it's one bait sitting there can't do anything you throw it out right now with a little breeze and the breeze is just taking your bobber and all of a sudden your your dead baits just floating ever so perfectly and all of a sudden your bait stops. It starts running against the wind and then goes down. Wow. Why did it work all winter long and the ice goes out and we go, I wonder how you catch them now that the ice is gone. Yeah. Why would you do exactly what you were doing two weeks ago? Oh, exactly. Yeah, I think ever... that's what, uh, sorry, Brian, that's what <clears throat> Lane Lane Meyer, our last guest said. He said one of his, one of the things he likes to do in spring is basically I, I believe he said it's like a big slip bobber setup, right? For for Bas pike, is basically, that quick strike rig. Exact same thing as what Gord just said, basically. Yeah, so I, it's definitely something that would would be fun to check out. And I think I was just kind of thinking about that when you're saying it. Is I lots of it is your people are especially in the fishing industry. It's it's such a buy 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 industry, right? So they're always the companies are, are always going to have something that you should be doing for this time of year, this technique, right? But when you kind of take it down to its bare bones, like a quick strike rig is pretty, pretty simple. Right. And when you take it down to that, yeah, like you said, it was working a month ago. So why wouldn't that be working now? But then I guess lots of people are thought to think, oh, well, you got to try out this, this new springtime bait. Cause that's, that's what they'll really be eating on kind of thing. There's going to be always a new product being marketed to the industry. There's going to be something for every season, for every species. And you know, those brands are going to make you feel like you're missing out if you don't go buy it. Uh, but if you don't, you don't have to go buy that $25 pike lure. You know, yeah. you don't, you don't have to, you can do with what you got exactly what you said, Gord. I mean, if it was working a month and a half, two months ago, just cause the ice is gone. I mean, why wouldn't it work now? There is not a bait. Um, and I mean, <clears throat> there is not a bait made in that, produces better northern pike at last ice than a quick strike rig dead bait. 
So now the ice is gone, the pike have spawned. Where they spawn is the exact same spot. All the suckers are running up. So here's <laughs> all these 12, 13, 14 inch baits that we can, and why wouldn't you fish a dead bait right alongside those exact, and everybody thinks, geez, a dead bait. Uh, what does a, a bait fish can do? Two things when it's been spotted by a northern pike. Uh, it, it either flees, so it swims away as fast as it can, or it freezes. Yeah. And we've put, we've put video cameras down and watched them under the ice, and they come closer. So when they see your dead bait, they don't see it as a dead bait. They see it as, oh, my God, that Cisco has spotted me, or that sucker has spotted me. He's frozen, and the pike comes closer and closer, and there's a threshold dis distance, and it just eats it, and your bait's yeah. gone. And that's how they—that's what they think the dead bait is. And now all of a sudden, in the springtime, we got a little ripple on the water, and you've got it under a bobber, and it's just slowly—it's actually kicking tail and moving a little bit, and the pike's going, "Oh my God." Look at that, look at that sucker or Cisco, he spotted me. And especially dead bait Cisco's, soft prey, uh, silvery, no sharp dorsal fins. Uh, they go, oh my God, there's it's a, a buffet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, exactly. I think, I think like I, it, it, it would be, I actually haven't tried that yet. So that's something that I, I think would like to try for sure. And I think that's, I imagine how the fight is, whether you're using like an iFish Pro or just your, your regular handline tip up. Um, the fight is fun on the ice, but I can only imagine that kind of fight open water with bigger setup and whatnot. And the fish are a little more aggressive. They can, they can run, they can scream and, and no, it's a blast. You know, the other, the other, if, for folks who don't want to lie or dead bait, um, big, uh, any of the big swim bait type baits. Um, but I actually like the sluggo styles. So any of the, although the single uh, pick tails are good, not paddle tails, but the straight tails and right. the sluggo styles. And all you want to do is walk the dog, fire it out, pop it. So it off to one side, off to the other. It just walks the dog and then falls. And that's what the Northerns, I was up on Milton Lake, and we named the fish Milty. Um, and anyway, I, I'm, we're cabin casting a big uh, eight or nine inch sluggo, and I turn, oh my God, look, and there, I thought at first it was a log, mm -hmm. and it was like about four or five feet of water. It was a northern. So I immediately picked up, fired the sluggo out, falls down, just falling like this. I walked the dog once, popped it, popped it, the fish came at it and I watched him open his mouth and came down on it and I I tightened up and I sat and he had about half the sluggo but right behind my hook and I pulled the hook bait just stretched came right out of his mouth and on the hook set because he was holding on halfway he opened up and the bait went flying out <laughs> over my shoulder into the water and honest truth I have two witnesses the minute it splashed down, it had already covered every piece of ground in between and hit it a second time. Wow. And so sluggo-style baits just walk the dog, visually fish for them. It's it's like bone fishing on the flats. 
but for fish that are 20, 22, you know, 40, 42, 47 inches in size, um, just a spectacular fun way to catch big northern pike right now. Yeah, for sure. I heard you throw around a number 49, you know, a little a little while back now, but I heard you throw the number 49 out. Is that the biggest northern you've come across? Or, like, out here, I've only caught, I've caught a 44. I've heard of guys catching 47s. Uh, I haven't heard of any 49s or anything around here. I mean, not that I haven't talked to anybody that hasn't caught a bunch of big pike, but uh, what's the biggest northern pike that you've come across? I, I thought he said 59. Four inches. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and I got it on camera. Wow. Filming for In Fisherman Television. Uh, Doug <clears throat> and when we put it, I didn't think it was quite that big. Um, and Tom Gruenwald from HT Enterprise was up. Uh, and we, we, we got it. And I got it under the ice and I leaned down. And I remember saying to Tom, oh, it's big, but it's not that big. And anyway, I got, finally got his head moved. And we had 10-inch hole. And I put my hand all the way down. I got him behind, got her behind the gills. And I brought her up. And it was just like coming up out of a 10-inch hole. And it was like a balloon popping mm-hmm. once it came up. And Doug came over. And, and we measured it afterwards. And Doug said, I have never seen a northern, alive or dead, or mounted on any resort anywhere on the continent as big as that fish and the neat thing was we let it go swam away and the next year i think it was the next year it wasn't that same year bob came up bob azumi and uh bob caught his biggest ever as well and it was uh 49 inches right on and we and it was uh, around 30 pounds when we did the we took a cord or fishing line and we knotted it on the length and we knotted it on the girth, and then we did a conversion, and it came out at 30 pounds. And Bob, it's often on the uh, Bob's television show on the lead-in, and he says that's the biggest northern he has ever seen anywhere in, on the continent as well. Both of them on dead baits. Yeah. And ice fishing. Ice fishing. But if I was on those spots two weeks later right now, or three weeks, four weeks later, the northerns haven't gone anywhere. They spawned. Now they're just waiting for the walleyes to come in, the suckers to come in, the perch to come in. They're, they'll stick around for the next month. And they'll just, hmm. a buffet table, a moving buffet table, as everything comes in and spawns there, and the pike are eating it all. So if it worked three weeks ago, four weeks ago, floating a dead bait, it sure works today. So uh, we hope you guys enjoyed part one there with Gord. Uh, as you can tell, he's full of stories. And so many stories that I, you you couldn't get them from anyone else. Like he's been part of the game in Canada for for so long. He's been a staple there, and I was just amazed at, at some of the information he had and some of the some of the great stories he had. I, I could talk to him for for much longer than we were able to. But I'm like I'm sure that's like anyone else. He's a busy guy. He's got he's got lots to do, and his season just opened up as well. So I'm sure he'll be busy out out on the water for sure. And of course, with the season just opening up, if you need any new gear from rods, reels, baits, uh, you name it, go check out 13fishing at 13fishing.ca. Uh, you can use our code 
weekend warriors for 15% off the entire website. Um, everything will be linked below in the show notes as well. Uh, so definitely go check it out. They have some fantastic rods and reels and they have some fantastic swim baits, which were honestly, they were the ticket for me the other day shore fishing. So uh, go check them out. And of course, we hope you all are having a great start to your season and stay tuned for part two of Gord's interview. Thanks for tuning in to the Weekend Warriors Fishing Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to leave a review on your favorite listening platform so we can reach more anglers just like you. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for media updates and behind-the-scenes content.